Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Monday. Today, we're going to talk about this little thing that happened over the weekend in South Bend. You might have heard of UFC losing to Notre Dame. The Fighting Irish, 49-14, to embarrassing fashion. Uh, it was just a total beatdown. We're going to talk about it with Dan Weber. Uh, lots and lots of questions you guys have sent in. I think it's a record. I don't really keep track of these things, but I don't remember getting any more then what we got this week, we already did a show with Harvey Hyde yesterday, and the questions for him kept piling in after we already aired the show. I'm sure more questions will come in for Dan. We're going to try to get to them all. We'll try to go through them fast, but it's going to be tough. we got a lot of them. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. We do appreciate all the questions you're sending in. And our voicemail and text line is 424-254-9141. You can download the show on iTunes. Please subscribe. Uh, please tell your friends. iTunes.com slash Peristyle Podcast, but we're also on Google Play and Stitcher Radio and TuneIn Radio and Audio Boom and lots of other podcasting apps. And if you find one that we're not on, let me know and I'll make sure we get added there as well. Like I said before, our 10th season covering the USC Trojan football team. This one, one of the least memorable games, <laughs> memorable games, I guess you could say. Uh, Dan Weber, what's up, Dan? How you doing? Uh, <laughs> so many, uh, you're right. There are so many ways to go after that game, so many questions, so many uh, things that you, you don't really have good answers for or immediate answers for, and uh, so many things that, you know, you just say, do you really think that's true or do you really believe that? <laughs> or, you know, the stuff that, that's happening with this team. I'm trying to think about this. You've had eight games this year, and if you awarded – like a, uh, like they do maybe in some grades, the way they grade in, uh, I guess, all the way up to college now for, for trying hard and getting close to your potential and all that. In seven out of the eight games that USC's played, the other team would have won. If you graded <laughs> teams on their potential going into a game and uh, how close did you get to your potential in that game, only Stanford is a game where you could come out of it saying, you know, USC got closer to its potential than its opponent did. Every other game, that other team has played better based on who they are and what they had and how they were going and all of the other stuff than USC did. That's really, uh, that's really bad. Yeah. That's just really bad. We call that underperforming, and that's why USC is 1-7 and seven against the spread. <laughs> so That too. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, I, I went against my rule, and I actually picked USC to cover this game, and man, I was wrong. Like, couldn't have been more wrong. So I was f- I was 4-1 and one on the day picking Pac-12 games, and this was the only one I was wrong on. The one I should know the most about, I had some belief, Dan. I really just felt like the second half of Utah was going to be the bounce-back point, and uh, they were going to start playing well. And you could tell from the very beginning, I was like, well, I was wrong. And I had, after that fumbled snap, I had zero confidence that USC could win this game. Well, and I think that reflected the USC team and coaches and fans and everybody. And, and, you know, my pick was the fact that I thought that 
I thought Sam had turned a corner physically, uh, you know, just in general getting up to speed the second half of the Utah game. And I thought the coaches had kind of gone along with that and understood this is what we got to do and that that would play out. And, and to be honest, we, hit, we see an awful lot of stuff written after that game about Notre Dame, boy, they're back. They're, 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 Notre Dame is what they are. They've got a, you know, a decent veteran offensive line. They've got guys that can run the ball, and they've got a quarterback who can run it. But he can't throw it. Uh, didn't look like that against USC. He threw it pretty well against uh, to slow receivers who were beating USC defenders. Uh, but that's no surprise. Uh, and, you know, here's a team that scores on almost every uh, uh, turnover. And USC gave them, you know, three. Boom, boom, boom. And... Um, so what do you expect? But, but, but the thought that Sam was going to turn around and play like Sam, and that would probably – and that Notre Dame wasn't going to be, which Kelly admitted, they couldn't cover USC's receivers, and they probably couldn't stop Sam. What Kelly said was, we tried to make it as difficult as possible so they had to really play well on third down. Now the problem why USC had to play really well on third down is first and second downs don't seem to go too well for this USC team when they're – you know, pulling out a play here and pulling out a play there, and none with with a great deal of confidence. And uh, you know, so so it took one snap on offense to, for you to realize, okay, Sam's not back to being Sam yet. And uh, you know, that's what that was the reason they had the year they had last year, and it's what they have to have this year. And if it's not going to happen, then what happened? Saturday night in South Bend is what's going to happen against a good team. Not a great team, but a pretty good Notre Dame team. Yeah. Uh, we'll see how good they are. Uh, it's just one of those things where you that so many games that USC has played in this year, and you're like, oh, that Western Michigan, I think they're going to be pretty good. Or, oh, that Texas, I think they're going to be pretty good. And um, just over and over, oh, Utah, you know, I think that's a pretty good team. And that, no, probably not. Just USC's just not playing very well. Um, well, that is amazing how uh, maybe it's the curse of USC. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just play USC. and Although it hasn't. And the crazy thing, the best team now that they've, they've played clearly is Stanford. And it's just amazing. If they played again, who would be favored? Who do you think? Oh, Stanford I mean, by far, think yeah. about that. Yeah. I mean, a team you just, a team you ran the ball or uh, put up, what was it, 607 yards of offense? on Stanford, and if they played now two months later, Stanford absolutely would be the favorite in this game. Yeah. That's just, that's a, that's a nutso, uh, you know, uh, trajectory uh, for USC football. To have been there game two and to be where they are now after game eight. It's just, it's, it, I, I'm not sure I've, I've seen anything like it. And, you know, they've had injuries, but a lot of teams have injuries. Yeah, uh, it wasn't like there was nobody to put in, you know, into the lineup. You know, it wasn't like you don't have a six foot four, three hundred and forty pound freshman who can slam dunk off of, you know, off of one leg that you could put in the lineup. I mean, it's, it's not like the cupboard was you know, completely bare, or that you didn't have a Christian Rector who you could put in, and he becomes the second team. AP All-American at midseason from uh, a non-starter. I mean, it's not like, you know, that you're one of those teams that has 12 guys and 
if somebody gets hurt, you got nobody. Um, that was hardly the case. Yeah. So what that means is, is it coaching? And so we're going to have to jump into these questions because we have a lot. Um, I want to, we, there's at least four voicemails that have to do with coaching. Um, maybe I'll play, I'll play them one at a time and kind of get your thoughts and we'll just move on, you know, uh, but the first one's kind of interesting. I thought you'd like this. We'll play this one and get your thoughts. Hey, Ryan. This is Sir Eric of Troy in Rancho Cucamonga. This question is for Dan Weber. Hey, Dan, first of all, I want to say I read um, your uh, post uh, about um, Clay Helton, you know, how in the world is he ever going to fix what's wrong if he's never going to admit you know, what is actually wrong. And I thought that it was spot on. I mean, you have written some really – um, wonderful things in the past, but that one was really, really spot on. Here's my question for you. Do you think that, that uh, Clay Helton or any of the coaches read um, your uh, post at all or or hear what you have to say or anything like that? Um, and I'm wondering if you would, would know if they did or not by uh, the fact that maybe they give you the evil eye at practice or, or something like that. Um, I know coaches want to say that they don't pay attention to the media, they don't pay attention to the beat writers and things like that, but I'm wondering if you think any of them have paid attention to what you're saying because if they have, they they sure haven't shown it in their actions. So um, trying my best to fight on, I was there in uh, South Bend and, and saw this fiasco and it just it just really, really broke my heart. So please let me know if you know whether or not they um, – are aware of the things that you're saying, which I think are, are perfect. Trying to keep the faith and fight on. Sir Eric of Troy and Rancho Cucamonga. Um, so, Sir Eric, <laughs> uh, uh, I, I think so. Uh, I know at times you do hear phrases back uh, at press conferences of things you've said the day before or that day or whatever, or... or, or yeah, I think so. We always knew that there was somebody assigned to you know, print up all of the relevant pieces that have been written and those were circulated. I know somebody who visited one of the offices one time said three of the five computers were the uh, the pages that were up were uscfootball.com. So, uh, yeah, I think I think it happens whether whether they respond in ways in which. Uh, you'd like them to respond or not, you know, I think, as I was kidding, I said, I thought I was in the state of Indiana, but it was uh, a state of denial after the game. I mean, I just think, I don't know that we've ever quite seen, well, you know, Lane Kiffin was here, so we heard that whole, you know, got to watch the film and we'll see what the mistakes that we can correct. And that was probably really inappropriate, uh, and that would probably indicate that they're not listening <laughs> they're not listening to us because uh, uh, that's the kind of thing that says you know if you're not watching the game film you really probably don't know what the heck's going on so we don't have to pay much attention to you uh, and I don't <laughs> know that that's like an arrogant sort of a thing that's just a defensive posture that you know prevents you from maybe having to directly answer uh, some of these questions but uh, but I think they do that I wouldn't be, you know, that egotistical to say it is always going to mean anything uh, for him, uh, although in this case it probably should. 
And we know, you know, at least a couple times, the head coach likes your instant analysis videos and talk to you about those. So he, that's... we do know that. Yes, we do. <laughs> so... He does ask us when he's leaving, especially the Coliseum games, when he goes by us as we're setting up, he wants to know what we're going to say about the game the next day. Hey, President Max Nikias watches instant analysis and comments on it. So, so there, it probably gets through, I, I would think. It yeah. gets through somewhere, somehow. We're not sure to what extent, but yeah, it's out there. Yeah, that's, that was a good one. Okay, so we have a bunch more about uh, coaching. I'll play you the first one. We'll we'll try to go through them quick. We'll get, get a few thoughts, and then we'll just move on to the next one. All right, here you go. Hey, guys, how are you? This is Don from the East Coast Calling. Uh, this message is for uh, Ryan, of course, you, um, and Dan Weber. Um, I wanted to call Saturday, but I was so upset I didn't want to say the wrong thing. So <laughs> that's why I'm calling you guys now on a Monday morning on the East Coast. Uh, let, look, can, can we just get straight to the point and get straight to the issue? It's coaching. It's coaching. The issue is not the players. You have all these five-star recruits. You have all these top players. It's coaching. The issue is that they're not prepared. For, they haven't been prepared since week one. They haven't been prepared. It's been the same excuse week after week after week after week. We got the numbers now. you got to practice how you play. That's, that's the oldest saying in the book. You practice how you play. And that's pretty much what's been going on. Clay Helton has got to look in the face. He's got to look himself in the mirror. He's got to say, all right, you know what? i got to get back to basics. i got to get back to basics. we got to start practicing. we got to start hitting. That's the things you have to do. If you don't hit in practice, how can you tackle in the game? I mean, you know, I mean, you know, you don't want to see this guy get fired on a tar mat, but you know what? He's kind of leaning towards that. And you know, he's a great guy and all, but great guys don't win national championships that USC, that USC is used to. So he's got to kind of get back to that. So, you know, I know it's a little long rant, but listen, you guys do a great job, and hopefully, we can uh, get it back in Tempe. Fight on. That was a great East Coast uh, comment. Uh, <laughs> uh, he had that edge, and uh, it would be a tough, tough thing to be an East Coast guy watch that Notre Dame game. Uh, yeah, I do think you, you said you practice like you play, and unfortunately, you kind of play like you practice too. I mean, that, and that's exactly true. Now you have to walk a fine line with tackling. You just, you know, I mean, I would like to see more teams really do the rugby style tackling and believe in it because you can practice that more uh and i think it's actually more uh, more certain kind of tackling but you have to work at it a little, approach it a little differently but if you don't do either and i know some of the kids said oh yeah we tackle we do tackling drills every day uh they don't tackle every day and they don't seriously tackle. and you know what else i was thinking notre dame uh, was talking about uh kelly was talking about they do 15 minutes of ball uh, security stuff and ball takeaway stuff, and it all of a sudden it took me back to Pete Carroll and how much they emphasize both of those things, especially the ball takeaway stuff and how. Because I mean, I remember the first time seeing it and watching Troy Palomalo do a, uh, a you know a ball takeaway drill, and it was fabulous watching that and and watching those good teams and how seriously they were, how serious they were about it. And I remember one year, they kind of got away from it when they had hired some new assistants. And I remember talking to Pete, and I said, if I were you, I'd pull out some old practice video and look at how you did those drills and compare it to how you're doing it now. And he actually did it. 
And I just said, I'm just a, a high school coach who love watching you do that, and I'm watching you not do it as seriously. And now, I don't know that they do it. I think the one coach that, that does a lot of ball security, and I mean really seriously ball security stuff, is Delane McCullough. And, and the running backs have had one fumble, as I recall, for this entire year. But, but I think that's some, those are some of the things that you can really do in practice that pay off. And as, as Kelly said, you've got those 300-pound guys uh, having to do ball scoop drills and, and, and bend over. And he said, that's a pain in the butt for those guys. But he said, it's really paying off for us. And, you know, the light bulb, as USC's coaches like to say, went off. And I thought, man, I wonder if that would pay off for USC too. Huh? Maybe? Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Um all right, should we go on to the next one? Sure. Yeah, I like. No, I love. I love his ball security drills, and I, I like. It just brings a whole new. I like the higher locks. It was an outside hire, and I, I've talked about this before, so we don't need to get into that. But let's move on to the next one. Hello, Don Archie here. The comment is for Dan Weber. Dan, the problem that this team has is directly related to the coaching staff. Doesn't take a rocket science to understand this. The coaching staff is failing to coach these players so that they can be successful at winning. I listened to the post-game interviews of the coaching staff, particularly of T. Martin. He seems to have an attitude, defensive, and blames the players. Coach Helton seems to just make excuses that just don't seem to make sense. Both of these coaches are in complete denial and are not very honest about what's really going on. Lynn Swan, the athletics director, is not very happy with this coaching staff, and I can see him making coaching changes, and he should. Fight on, USC. Yeah, Mr. Autry, I, I, I think you're on to something. Uh, something has to change. And last year... I think they were very proud of the fact that they reacted to the first three games and they changed much of what they were doing, much of their approach to practice, obviously changed the quarterback, just changed the whole atmosphere. And then this year, what we hear is that what they did last year was so good and so right, they don't need to change it at all, even though we're now eight games into a season in which in seven of them, they pretty much really underperformed, and yet they're saying, what we're doing is right. We just have to, you know, get rid of those oh, mistakes or, or whatever, just at the margins. But, uh, but we're doing the right thing. I think last year they did the right thing. Uh, and what they did worked with that group of players. Now, that group is, is gone to some extent. It's not like they've got a freshman team playing. I mean, I think it's really overplayed that, oh, Notre Dame had the experience and USC didn't, uh, you know, at quarterback, who had the experience, Notre Dame or USC? Uh, USC had the better wide receivers in the game. They had, uh, you know, a more experienced secondary, uh, more experienced linebackers as a group. Uh, Notre Dame lost almost their best linebacker right, you know, that week. Uh, so it, it just it does come down to coaching, I think, at this point and. Uh, you probably have to be able to say, this is where we are, this is what we're doing, this is why it's not cutting it. 
and this is what we have to do. You've got four more games. The whole balance, I mean, you're probably lucky at this point. If you're USC, you're 6-2, and two, and you could be easily 4-4. Four and four. You might even make the case that you should be 4-4. Four and four. You know, you're one play in an overtime and one play or the Texas, uh, a couple of plays in the final few seconds and uh, an extra point uh, against Utah from being four and four. And what will we be saying at that point? Uh, so you're absolutely right. And I don't think Lynn Swan can possibly be happy, as you say, Mr. Autry. Uh, you're correct. All right. One, one more on the coaching staff. Here we go. JD from DC with two quick questions, Dan, in the context of your recent op ed, regardless of where fans stand in the position. I think you have to acknowledge a couple of things. Coaching makes a difference. If you don't believe that, just look at the turnaround in Notre Dame this year when they cleaned house literally and figuratively, and they went from four and eight to where they are now. That, we've already won more games than they did all of last year. Uh, and then the other thing is, when is it ever a good idea to hire somebody who's your brother or your father on your staff? I mean, that just limits your flexibility in terms of making potential necessary coaching changes uh, that you need to. Um, you know, you've got to remember that Lane Kiffin could still very well be the head coach at USC if he had fired his father two years earlier. I mean, the defense was just really awful. The offense had no trouble scoring points during Kiffin's tenure here. I guess uh cuts off there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just ended. I think he likes I to always, end his ones. Yeah. I always have to... Say when you say that, uh, I think of the uh, Washington State game. What did they get beat? Ten to seven or whatever. So that one, Lane threw threw some in there that uh, were just awful. And then uh, how about that uh, that Sun Bowl? Uh, that was pretty. Not, I know. Okay, he didn't have his starting quarterback, who by that time I think had decided that Lane didn't know what he was talking about. Uh, I think it took Barkley Barkley till his senior year to figure out that, man, I'm just not sure about this. And, and you do wonder where Sam's head is right now. He's a junior. You know, it's easy to call him a redshirt sophomore, but this is his third year. And you just wonder if some of the stuff that's happening to Sam is, is one of those, you know what, I'm not sure I trust that. And I'm not sure my guys trust that. And maybe we need to do something else. And... You know, is that one of the reasons you're looking downfield when the first snap of the game comes high and hot and, and, uh, and not, you know, not easily handled? And uh, you know, the whole game is, the tone of the whole game is set, and you're you know, down, to, down to tubes on one snap. But, uh, uh, yeah, uh, you, you just, the way this is going is not good and the trajectory is really not good and uh, something has to change yes and i'm not sure correcting on the margins you know telling the kid see that gap control you lost that gap control well now what do you do do you tell him don't lose gap control is that going to help him not lose gap control not get beat to the spot by the guy uh, you know the offensive lineman across from him i don't think so you got to do more than that. I mean, it's not. I think there. It's like well, we made mistakes, and we'll just correct the mistakes. I think it's an attitudinal thing, and it's a you know a, a physical thing. And 
clearly Notre Dame had not played great this year, but they had they were way better than uh, a number of you know overmatched opponents. But they had the bye week. They only practiced a couple of times first week. But I think the whole emphasis for Notre Dame was we are going to be much more physical than USC. Now, what you would like is a USC team where Notre Dame wouldn't think that thought, where that wouldn't be the idea, where they would say, gee, I mean, do you think Notre Dame ever went into a game against the Pete Carroll team saying, you know, we're going to be more physical than USC? Notre Dame's players would have laughed at their coaches. They would have said, what? We're going to be more physical than those guys? No way. We can't be more physical. But right now... It's an easy sell. Washington State sold it to their little kids. We're going to be more physical than USC. What Western Michigan did, everybody's selling that. And again, this is the craziness of college football. Why Stanford couldn't pull that off, no one will ever know. But the rest of them, it's easy to sell your kids on. We're going to be more physical than USC. And that's not watching film and checking for mistakes. That's how do you practice, how do you think about the game, how do you call plays, how do you, how do you game plan? What are you doing on, uh, you know, in terms of game plan and how do you practice? And it all goes together to where you end up with uh, Saturday night's result. And uh, that's, that's just not watching, watching film and, and, and checking for mistakes. That's just, and those answers, you hope they're not telling you what they really believe. Because you want to say, you really believe that? And <laughs> we're not, and I know people say, well, what about following up? And you end up with, they're not going to answer that. You try to get them to say, elaborate a little bit more to see if they really believe it or not. I mean, we don't know. We really don't know. What do they really believe? Uh, and if we don't know, and we're there, and we know what we're, we know, we know what we're seeing, and do the kids know? Do the players know what they really believe? And what do the players believe? Um, I don't know. That's important, what the players believe. Because uh, yeah. it's, it's hard to pull. You know, they, they see what's going on from the inside. They, they know if you're blowing smoke up their ass, they know. Well, I mean, let's face it. They know better than any of us. Yeah. And they know better than any of you guys out there. They really know. Yeah. What do you think they think Yeah. right now? What do you think they think? Yeah. So okay, so I think I'm gonna try to read more of the questions that are coaching related as well. So we'll go through those maybe first, and we'll just kind of go through them quickly, but mostly to kind of read what they're saying, give it a few thoughts, and we'll move on. But SC Maid said last year the Notre Dame brass put Kelly in his place and said make changes or get the hell out. He's talking about Brian Kelly, um, he who made a bunch of changes on his staff. Do you think that Clay can do this and make changes on to the staff despite T being uh, is his boy? And how many years of coaching at USC together? Tyson is his brother. Callaway is a friend of the family. Bradford is Clancy's guy, and it's obvious Clancy does what he wants or doesn't want with the team. Uh, I'm not. I'm not for firing Clay yet, uh, but it seems to me that he's all about being a nice guy, and I'm not sure if he can show someone the door when it's needed. This team is tough. Uh, is, I'm sorry. This team is not tough, and it trickles down from the head coach. Dan and Ryan continue to ask the tough questions. If our team cannot be tough, at least our team reporters can be. Best from SC made. Yeah, I mean, you really make a lot of good points and uh, a lot of questions that that aren't exactly answerable, other than what do they do about it when the time comes? Uh, and 
and you do get in a situation where maybe it is difficult uh, to to make those calls, and maybe you do have to be told uh, this is how you're going to do it. I mean, one of the biggest problems, and we all really like and really respect Clay. I don't know that there's anybody that 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 doesn't feel like that. That he's a good man and a good person. He really cares about the kids, but. Uh, you end up in a situation where you really do have to be kind of ruthless and cutthroat. And nobody accused, you know, uh, Brian Kelly of not being that way. And I think there was no question he was on the hot seat this year, and, and there was a really good chance that this was going to be his last year. And, uh, you know, everybody said, well, he started throwing people under the bus. I think at times you maybe you have to and there's nothing you can do about it he himself has changed a little bit but uh but i think clay may well be in that position where he's going to be told that these are the changes you have to make yeah and he's going to have to make a decision as to uh what does he want to do what what is his future uh and i know this from people who who really like and respect clay who are very afraid because the, the difficulty, the financial problems, let's say, that UCLA would have if they fired Jim Mora are staggering and probably insurmountable, and they probably can't do it. That's not the case at USC, and that's not because USC's got all this money or whatever, which they probably do if, they, if push came to show. It's just because it won't cost very much if you tell this coaching staff to, you know, they're not needed. Uh, it, it's probably the lowest buyout situation of any major, you know, any top 25 program, I would guess, that would nobody would be able to dismiss a coaching staff as easily and as with as little financial penalty as USC's in right, right now. And that's a, that's a real danger uh, for this coaching staff, I think. And uh, uh, so, so from that standpoint, uh, I would not underestimate the ease with which that could be done yeah. if uh, if it's required. Yeah, he did make a lot of changes when he first got hired and fired the whole defensive staff, basically. So, I mean, he's done stuff, stuff like that before. That was more of a back-in-the-corner thing. It, you know, lose on the road to Arizona State, that could be more of a back-in-the-corner thing. Like Dan said, maybe some force, forcible actions happening. We're not sure, but... We will see. Um, Dan, well, and it does, oh. the other guys, I think when it happened first, those were not his guys. Those were Sark's guys. Yeah. Uh, in this case, they would be mostly his guys. Now, and that's a little bit more of a challenge. Uh, yeah. Because, as he says, faith, family, and football. And, family, you know, what do you do? I mean, his football family, in some ways, is his real family. And, uh, that's a challenge. That yeah. will be an interesting, interesting yeah. challenge going forward. And SMA didn't even mention John Baxter, who he speaks so highly of, but their special teams have been a disaster, you know? So do you fire him? Like, can you do it? So there's there's a lot there. Um, Dan, class of 1962, when ND defeated USC 51 to nothing in 1966, John McKay was unequivocal in stating that such an outcome will never happen again. He stated this after making a joke about one billion people in China not caring about the outcome of a football game. He was true to his word. He went on to win most of the games with Notre Dame and three more national championships before he retired after the 1975 season. 
He didn't talk to the media and say something lame like, we'll look at the film or we still have the Pac-12 championship uh, in our sights. They didn't have a Pac-12 then, so he couldn't have said that. But uh, USC versus Notre Dame is a really big deal. And if Clay and his staff don't understand this about USC football, they're not the right coaches for our school. I would like to see the coaches take more responsibility for the lack of game preparation and play calling instead of calling out the players for not executing. You play the way you practice, pure and simple. This was not a one-time aberration, so... It is definitely the coaching that is at fault with the execution. You never solve a problem without first admitting your mistakes. Marv Goo would be turning over in his grave. Fight on. Dan, class of 1962. Yeah, Dan, I mean, I think the John McKay point is really well taken because he did have one one of those moments that USC had Saturday and that unequivocal, this will never happen again, and I thought it was interesting. Notre Dame honored Era Parsegian. They had the Era Parsegian T-shirts, and that was his and his early success against USC. I think really got turned around on him. And Era did not have great overall success by the end of it, and he suffered the, the great uh, you know turnaround game that USC will will never forget, and uh, all of those things that. John McKay was the guy who would say something like that, and you would say, you know, I believe that guy. He's not going to let that that happen again. And he could joke about it, but you knew deep down this wasn't going to happen again. And I asked Clay about that on the conference call. I said, you've had the highs. Uh, you still have a 14-game home winning streak. You had the 13-game overall winning streak of the last two years. It was the second best in the nation, and yet you've presided over the two worst you know, road defeats in the last 50 years. How do you process that, the, you know, the highs and the lows? And Clay said he doesn't. He doesn't think about that kind of stuff. He doesn't. He goes week to week. And and maybe that, looking at what John McKay said, never is that going to happen again. Yeah. And he, didn't, he did kind of look at the big picture and said, we're USC. That stuff doesn't happen to us and if it does it's never going to happen to us again i like that answer i think that's a really good answer for usc here not we're going to watch the film and and correct the mistake yeah not the right answer for that loss in the usc notre dame the the second worst loss in uh in the series in history uh and the second worst first half in history i mean it just it's totally unacceptable to just say, you know, it's like another game. Well, yeah. it's not. And I think one of the interesting points, the other thing Brian Kelly said they did uh, the last two weeks is they emphasized to their players how absolutely important the USC-Notre Dame series was and what a big deal it was. And that's all they had, you know, on the, the video board with a special video about USC-Notre Dame series and it was a big deal and if you were on the campus much and spent much time you could tell this was a really really big deal for Notre Dame and uh, uh, I think John McKay knew it was a really really big deal and yeah. I know Clay talked about it but I think there's it's more than, than talking about it there has to be a feeling that just you know it's just a part of everything you do that week and uh, and I'm not sure I don't, uh, that I, that was the case. I don't think it was. And I wrote a piece in the war room. So if you want to go back and, and look at that, I talked to 
I mean, maybe a dozen players or ten players about, and and one coach about what the rivalry meant to them. And you know, I just didn't get the like. I didn't feel like this is the most important thing. It's it wasn't anything like that. It was like they mentioned, yeah, the Bush push. There's a lot of history. Like it just didn't seem like it was the end all be all. And for and for fans, it, a lot of the times it is. And and the the other point that Dan made, um, which was was kind of interesting about that, and and what you were talking about. Is never let this happen again. It reminded me of a piece I was going to write on Sam Darnold because he's so competitive. When, if you remember, when Tim Tebow, I think in like 2008, lost to, I think it was Old Miss, and he gave that impassioned speech about we're never going to play harder. We're never. You know, it was like this crazy like, and he just walked off the podium. And then they went on to win the national championship. Like he hated losing so much that he just went on this rant about how this would never happen again and blah blah blah. And I kind of felt like. That's the way Sam Donald was. He lost that first game, and he just didn't want to ever lose again. And now we've seen him lose a couple of times, and I'm not seeing, and I'm not blaming Sam for this. I just, I kind of feel like that's the, the culture around the, the team. It seems like he almost lost some of that that fire, that competitive, that, not these like a jump on the table, yell at everyone guy, but the, someone that hates losing so much. And then to hear him afterwards, it was kind of like. Unfortunate, you know. Do you know what I'm talking about, Dan? Yeah, absolutely. Because he basically, uh, pretty much said what the coaches said. We made some mistakes. You can't make mistakes like that. Notre Dame really came out and played well, and we'll have to correct that by next week. But you're right. I mean, and I, I might credit Tebow. That was the year USC should have gotten into the BSC, BCS championship game, and Florida had a worse loss. That Ole Miss loss was a worse loss than USC had, and they got in. And I think one of the things that helped them was was that speech maybe by Tebow that was so everybody kind of paid attention to it and said, wow, they really, you know, want to make up for for all of that. And we're not hearing that uh, from USC. We're not hearing that big picture, uh, you know, you can't stop stop us or as bad as this was, it's never going to happen again. Uh, That's missing. I remember when you were asking this, those kids the questions during the week you weren't you were getting kind of the answer that they thought they should give you but it wasn't like a sense of and, and some of that has been Notre Dame hasn't been as good in the last two times they came to the Coliseum uh, they weren't really competitive and I just think something was lost uh, in the translation uh, certainly this last week but it wasn't lost at Notre Dame they uh they need USC, and they know it, and they needed that game. And you didn't get in any way the same sense from USC that this was anything special. And that's uh, that's sad. Yeah. Um, okay, let's see. So we got uh, – here's another one on the the coaching. We This one's from – let's see. I don't think I wrote down who it was from. My apologies. It said, Ryan and Dan, sometimes you just need a change. Dear Mr. Swan. Please call PJ Fleck soon. Respectfully submitted the Trojan Faithful. Here he is the real live energizer bunny. Someone needs to infuse some life back into this team. I really enjoy listening to the podcast. Thanks again for making the morning commute fun. I apologize I didn't write down the name of who that was. Yeah, those names are going to start coming. Uh, there's nothing anybody can do to stop that. Those names are going to be there and there are guys uh, uh, the other one you hear is the uh, is another first year Big Ten coach, Jeff Brom, the originator of all the good stuff that they did at Western Kentucky. And he's, uh, I think, made a, an instant impact. And they're, those two guys are at programs that 
you know, when you compare the opportunity, say, at a USC with, say, Minnesota or Purdue, you think, whoa. Uh, and, and that's going to happen. Uh, uh, Saturday's game guaranteed it. Uh, the rest of the season is going to impact, uh, you know, whether you hear those names more and more. But there are some of those names out there, and uh, um, they're not going away. Uh, no, I don't, <laughs> I don't think they are. You're going to hear uh, kind of more and more of these. Um, here's one from Otis. Uh, hey, Ryan, and for Dan, I tried to look this up. I'm so confused with the win-loss record. So SC lost to Washington State, but the loss is meaningless because we just need the South. SC lost to Notre Dame, which puts us out of the title game. So if SC only wins the South, do they go to the Pac-12 title game? So SC could be 5-7 and seven in the conference and win the conference and go to the Rose Bowl with a 6-7 and seven record? I was a little confused. I don't think that's going to happen, Otis. But. Yeah, I don't think those numbers uh, play out. But, uh, but they could go to the conference championship game based on uh, the level of, uh, you know, talent in the Pac-12 South and not be a very good team. I mean, I think you can still win the Pac-12 South yeah. and skid through and get some, you know, some breaks at the end of games and things like that. But, uh, but you, you wouldn't end up in the Rose Bowl uh, unless you, you know, the Rose Bowl this year is a playoff semifinal game. So they're not going to end up in the Rose Bowl unless they're a playoff semifinalist. So, yeah. Um, Which is could USC still be a playoff semifinalist? I guess if they had four finishing games uh, comparable to Notre Dame's win over USC, Notre Dame wins out, let's say, and is this most impressive team, and it doesn't maybe hurt terribly, terribly, terribly to have a loss to Notre Dame, and then you show up in the conference championship game and you just blow everybody away, and that Around the country, everybody else beats everybody else to the point that there's Alabama and two other teams or whatever. Maybe. But uh, other than that, it looks like they have kicked away any playoff hopes. Yeah, wouldn't count. And and not so much by record, just by the way they're playing. They're they're not getting any better, and they don't have any confidence in themselves. And they're playing without any passion and fire and uh, all those kinds of things. I mean, they just don't look like they believe in themselves. Yeah. And uh, and that's the thing that, that hurts them, I think, the most, more than anything. I mean, to me right now, USC's 6-2 and two record doesn't look or feel like 6-2. and two. I mean, They're still ranked. They're what, 21st, both polls. They don't feel like even that right now. So... So I don't know that you know, any kind of projections make any kind of sense right now. Yeah. Terry in Vegas says, Dan, I definitely don't advocate making a coaching change in the middle of the season. However, I do believe that Lynn Swan must now see that the coaching staff is not close to being capable of leading this team to a national championship. Certainly not in the foreseeable future. Do you agree? And if so, and given the current performance, uh, if the current performance continues, do you think Swan will consider making a change after the season? I guess that's the Colin Cowherd test, right? Uh, can the USC coach lead them to a national championship? Yeah. Something like that. And I do think that's what Lynn has never not said that, that this is a program that should be in contention for the Pac-12 every single year and fairly often in contention for national championships. And Lynn's a championship guy. I know when I raised the question to Clay, 
because I thought last year Lynn had said they had they met on Sundays after games. Clay said now they're they're meeting on Mondays, so they hadn't had their meeting yet. Yesterday when I asked, but he said first thing Clay said about about Lynn was that he's won a lot of championships, and Lynn is a championship guy. He's a win championships guy, and uh, I think that's very much enough forefront of his thinking about the USC program. Uh, so what that does going forward, um, I don't know. I think he will be mightily unhappy if this year does not result in a Pac-12 championship for this USC team. Uh, if, for example, Stanford is the best team in the conference or the best other team or however you want to say it, and USC started off with that kind of domination over a team that could be the best team in the conference and ends up where they're headed right now, uh, that will be hard to take. That will be very, very hard to take. And I don't think anyone will take it harder than Lynn Swan. Yeah. Jesse Rodriguez said, uh, do you know if Lynn Swan was going to have a meeting with the entire coaching staff, kind of like what the AD at LSU did with Coach O's staff? It's just insane for this team to continue to get worse. Well, I know that the LSU thing uh, was spurred essentially because they have the two highest-paid coordinators in college football. And they went out and got uh, uh, Dave Aranda from uh, Wisconsin, and I think he's up to $1.8 million now a year. And then they got the the – no, Matt Canada guy from Pittsburgh who did such a good job with uh, you know transfers and all the stuff that that he handled last year and the year before and so they're both at LSU and it didn't sound like all three of them with Ed Orgeron were on the same page at all and I think the athletic director called at least those three in for a meeting and I think Ed was all in for that meeting he wanted it so I don't know where that whole thing uh, stood between all the various members of the LSU coaching staff. But, uh, but you don't get that sense at USC that they're all on different pages or that they need the AD to bring them all together. When you talk to them, you hear pretty much the same message. Now, you will hear last week, first time I did this, talked to uh, Delane McCullough and Neil Calloway about the emphasis on the run game and were they, were they emphasizing it enough and were they doing it at the right time? And, did they, and both of them, I got the answer, that's not, uh, that's not a question for me. That's a T question. Uh, that's not, and, and one of them said, are you trying to get me in trouble? So, uh, you know, there may be some of that. How could there not be? with, for example, what USC has tried to do at the goal line uh, this year. You would think people that had anything to do with the run game directly would not be very happy with uh, what's happening when USC gets, gets to the goal line and tries to run the ball. So, uh, so there may be some of that, but uh, not, I don't know about the whole coaching staff, but, but maybe uh, the offense coordinator, defense coordinator, and the special teams guy uh, with the head coach sit down with, with uh, Lynn Swan that would be interesting yeah. uh, today's meeting between Clay and Lynn might have been I would have thought uh, pretty interesting whether we'll ever 
you know, Clay basically said, Lynn has been really supportive, really, really great to sit down with him and talk. So not sure we'll know exactly what is happening in those meetings. Uh, John and Brea, uh, we'll try to just go through these. Sorry, there's so many. Uh, what frustrates me so much is the USC fan is reading a quote from Brian Kelly about how Notre Dame was a more physical team. Not the first time we've heard that this year. Do you think USC can ever become a physical football team under this coaching staff? If so, how? Thanks. Fight on. What other choice do we have, John and Brea? John, really good, really good question, and I think it's one they have to answer. How you really can't be the kind of team you want to be if you're not that physical team. And I think what's interesting last year they they were that really physical team at Washington, and they just that was who they were. And the Washington people were, like, throwing up their hands and saying, man, I don't know if we can play with somebody like that. But that, that didn't happen very much. And then this year, it happened in the Stanford game. And other than that, USC hasn't been the physical team and, and hasn't gotten, you know, hasn't been able to build, for example, on that Stanford game. And why that is, it almost, how could it come back to anything other than, than practice and game planning and uh, the whole approach to, to things. And I think, for example, you know, I've told people, I said this, if it would have been me in the short week getting ready for, for Washington State, and we'd raised enough hell about the schedule and the fact that USC shouldn't accept that when it comes out in January and tell the, tell the uh, Pac-12 to go back to the drawing board. But once you got it, now you got to deal with it. And if it were me, a USC decision was we will go in. Well, no practice that week will be in pads, which I think just communicated exactly the wrong message to USC. Either Washington State isn't enough to really worry about, or it doesn't matter whether we're physical or not, and we don't have to practice that way. I just think that's a mistake. I, mean, I told people I would have practiced in pads twice that week, uh, not even just the once. I would have sent the message that, and I said it at the time, I said it before the week started, that that's the message I would convey to this team, is you're going to go up there and you're going to bury Washington State. You're going to be so physical, they don't want to have anything to do with you. And that's, that's how you deal with a Washington State. You don't go up there and dink and dunk and play around and allow them to think that they're, they're going to beat you, that they're, gonna, they're just as good as, and they're going to play harder and they're going to beat you. And you can't do that. But uh, that's not the thinking around this team. And this team kind of approaches things like, uh, you know, with an NFL mentality that we've got, you know, veteran players. We've got guys that are living depends on this. They're going to get themselves ready. They know how to tackle. They know how to block. They know how to do what they do. And all we have to do is get their footwork down and get their timing down. And we don't want to take too much out of them and let them just, blow it all out there at, in the game. The only difference is you're dealing with like 18 to 21 year olds and they're not there yet. They're not capable in many cases of getting themselves ready by themselves physically for a game. That's just, that's not, I mean, they're still, as we're hearing reports of, they're still, you know, sending out social media as the team arrives at Notre Dame stadium. And, uh, you know, I'm guessing probably there aren't too many NFL teams that are that are sending out social media stuff 
as they approach the stadium. Uh, but those, those are kids. That's what kids do. That's why coaching at college is a lot different. Coaching college is a lot different from coaching in the NFL. And uh, I, I just think the approach has to be different, and I'm not sure it is different enough. Let's go. Frank in Vegas, he said, that game was so bad, it's hard to see how you could learn from it. T's game plan may be great, but either he can't teach his players how to execute them or his players are incapable of executing them. Either way, why didn't someone point out to T that it's his fault if the team doesn't execute his plan correctly? Cleaning up a few mistakes isn't going to fix this mess. I listened to some of your earlier videos today. Several times you marked that you were surprised about an injury. Now we hear that Sam has had a bad ankle uh, since Washington State. Is USC covering up injuries for some reason? Uh, what else are they not telling us? And you know, actually, going to play a, a voicemail too. There's a Darnold injury, so I'll play that one back to back and let you comment. Hey, Ryan and the Parasol family. This is Ray, another Trojan fan in SEC country. Uh, question for Dan. Correct me if I'm wrong, but did you or did you not specifically ask on one or more occasion if Sam was okay, if anything was wrong with him physically? To which the answer was, and I'm paraphrasing here, um, everyone is dinged up or something like that. Okay, so fast forward to Notre Dame post-game interview when Ryan asks what happened to Sam when he was taken out. Again, paraphrasing, but the question response was something like, he's dealing with an ankle he's had since Washington State. Okay, now the fact that he may or may not have been hurt isn't really my issue. His play suggests something is, is or has been wrong with him for some time now. The question or the issue I have is, if he's dealing with an ankle injury, why on earth are they still running zone reads when he is clearly little to no threat of keeping the ball? He's going to give the ball to the running backs. We know it. The defensive front knows it. And they're going to get those two to three extra full speed step and close in on those backs. All they're doing when they run those plays is saying to themselves, tackle 25, 28, or 29. The defense doesn't even have to stay honest which is kind of like the whole function of the zone read, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. It opens up everything from screens to RPOs, um, all those quick hidden plays. It has, if the defense stays honest, those plays open up. But when they don't have to, they just crash in on the backs and SE wastes it down. And if you guys noticed um, during the game, when Feet kept the ball on a couple of those, uh, those zone reads, it opened up lanes for Malapai, who had a few nice runs toward the end. Just interested in your thoughts on it. Thanks again for all you guys do. It's going to be a really tough week, and I'm going to lean on you guys. Fight on. Well, you've been paying attention because that's you got it exactly right. Yeah, they have uh, have not. You know, they're not exactly telling you what's going on when they say, "Oh," when you ask a specific question about a specific player being injured, and they say everybody has bumps and bruises. Okay, right away that says. Yep, he's injured. We're just not going to tell you, uh, is is what what that answer means. I mean, my contention is that again, we're just this is guesswork. We're just trying to watch him in practice. That there's been something before the Washington State game. I thought they called the Washington State game uh, as they did because he was injured, uh, and they didn't uh, use Sam with the option, and they. Most every pass pattern, as I recall, was a drop back. And, and they didn't really ask him to put pressure on the defense with any kind of, you know, rollouts, bootlegs, sprint outs, anything like that. Um, 
And I thought that was the reason they realized if playing Utah, they had to use Sam. They had to make him a threat. Now, they didn't do it very well in the first half with the uh, uh, plays that we hadn't really seen him run much, uh, the option pitch or or uh, Sam trying to read and, and pull the ball back out, out from Ronald Jones' midsection, and both of them are trying to grab it at the same time, and, the, you know, the ball's lost on the ground. But they knew that they had to do what you said. They had to make Sam a threat, and they had to, you know, tie up that end at least and make him make a decision instead of everybody crashing down on the running back. So uh, they started doing some of that, but uh, but maybe not enough. And I, I, and I'm not I'm not even sure what is the best thing to do if you've got a quarterback that you want to run the option with, and you can't run him. Where do you go from there? Uh, to Sam's not ideally a drop-back quarterback. Sam needs to be putting pressure on people. Uh, that you just don't know. I mean, it, it's very difficult. For example, uh, again, you had a game where no throws were completed to the tight ends. Uh, the two passes completed to r- two different running backs, one each, lost a total of three, uh, two yards. They averaged a minus one yard per completion to the running backs. Uh, on plays that really were not well executed at all. Uh, it was a, a, a pretty much a disaster in terms of the game plan and the execution. Uh, but, uh, but having Sam not able to be Sam, and to be honest, last year Sam did what he did mostly on plays that broke down, and he extended them. He uh, escaped the pocket. He beat the first guy invariably. You know, close to 100% of the time, he beat that first guy. And now he had extended the play. The defenders had to defend longer, and the receivers had, were, had more time to find the open spaces. Some of that's happening. It doesn't look like the receivers as a group are as good at reading uh, the play when it's extended by Sam. Sam clearly is not as good at extending the play. We, we remarked during the game how many times Notre Dame just got a hand on him and uh, his feet weren't, weren't good enough to escape uh, getting dragged down from behind. That never happened last year. Never, never. You just never saw that. People were not good. at Penn State drove them crazy. They weren't good enough no matter what they did. And Penn State last year in the Rose Bowl had a better defense than, you, than uh, Notre Dame did uh, Saturday. And USC put 52 points on them. So, you know, you tell me what the difference, and a lot of that was Sam uh, making plays happen you know, right on the spot, and that's not happening this year. Uh, and So a lot of what USC did last year was dependent on Sam to be able to be that guy. He can't be that guy for whatever reasons, and USC is not that team anymore. And, uh, you know, we can draw our own conclusions, but I know when people would come to practice, like a Doug Flutie last week, uh, who did the game for NBC, I basically said, Samson hurt. There's no question. I mean, there's something going on. This is not the same guy. And Flutie said, that's what I thought. <laughs> you know, he said, I've been watching him. He really likes Sam. So I've been watching him. He's not the same guy. I said, no, something's going on. Well, 
They admitted it after Saturday's game. Something was going on. I'm not sure they, the full extent of what's going on uh, that we absolutely know, but they did admit something's going on, and, uh, and that's been pretty obvious. Jim at Newport Beach said there's probably a few facets of USC football they could be examined, but strictly speaking on the subject of Sam, based on his performance last year, it's hard to believe that Sam does not have the talent. Do you think he's suffering from a lack of grooming and development by the coaching staff, such as the way Norm Chow used to groom his quarterbacks? And then also, from the game planning and play calling perspective, do you think that part of the problem is that the coaching staff is unable or unwilling to call plays to allow him uh, easier throws within a regulated offense. This might alleviate the pressure on Sam instead of constantly improvising to get a play to work. I, I think he's the best when he's improvising, but what do you think, Dan? I mean, Well, for example, Saturday, they didn't give him any easy throws to the tight ends or any easy throws to the running backs. That hurts. Uh, they, they, he did hit one easy throw to uh, Deontay where the ball was, uh, you know, Deontay's going one way and the ball's three yards behind him going the other way. Uh, so there isn't that pinpoint accuracy that we saw last year where basically Sam saw the target open and the target got the ball. You saw that uh, on the 17-yard uh, touchdown pass to Tyler Petita in the uh, Utah game, but we haven't seen that just automatically happen. Uh, and so is some of that he's not sure of the receivers? Is some of that the receivers aren't sure of him? Uh, it's just a difference. There's a, just a different feeling. Last year... You kind of had the sense, if this guy gets open, that ball will be there, and it will be catchable. And that's not the sense that you have this year. Uh, why that is, we've all got uh, theories that it's a number of things. And it would be nice, for example, if they could run the ball a little bit more surely instead of you know running into a wall and it's, second and nine or second and ten or whatever. And, and that was, as, as Brian Kelly said, that was a big part, trying to get them into difficult third down situations where, where USC would have to make a perfect play. And, uh, and a lot of that is they're not doing well enough on first and second down. I mean, USC ran for 76 yards against Notre Dame, physical, tough Notre Dame, uh, even if they weren't greatly talented on defense. They ran for 71 yards against Texas. Tough, uh, uh, all-out, uh, good defensive coordinator. Uh, they ran for 100 and whatever it was, 33 yards against Cal, who played them hard without great talent. Uh, one, one really great player on defense, but uh, that shouldn't be happening. USC has to run the ball better and take some of the pressure off Sam. I mean, when they run the ball well, I mean, I've said this all year. If USC runs the ball well, they will throw the ball well, and, and things will be fine. But, uh, but the surest way to, to know what's going to happen in a football game, if you can't run the ball and the other team can, and then you throw in the turnovers, that's like that almost the team that can't run the ball and can't stop the run and turns it over, their chances of winning are so small. I mean, USC's probably done that this year, but it's really a bad way to go into a football game. Let's see. We got uh, Jared in Utes country. And now this is, uh, this is kind of a you know different perspective. And we actually had someone post on the Peristyle that they thought you should uh, not be covering the team anymore, Dan, because you weren't taking into consideration oh, yeah. all the stuff. So I thought that was uh, 
<laughs> not a lot of support for that person. Um, but, you know, our, our job here is to be objective. We're not trying to blow, like we said, we're not sunshine pumping and just tell you everything's fine and give you excuses. If they don't look good, we're going to tell you they don't look good. Jared Mute's country says, is it reasonable to put this loss all on coaching? I think we need to step back and remember that USC has not had a bye week and hobbled into Notre Dame, missing so many starters or key contributors on both sides of the ball. Notre Dame had a bye week and no class for their players the past week. Could Pete Carroll have weathered such a scheduling adversity? Uh, John McKay would be better than 6-2? and two? Jared in Utes country. Well, when you look at it, right now, Notre Dame is the only top 10 team USC has played. Okay? So, and, and, and Western Michigan, again, as, as Ryan has said, we were fairly impressed with Western Michigan or Texas or Utah when they played USC, they haven't been that impressive since then. And if you're thinking about it, you don't always have a bye in the first seven weeks. Uh, it, you know, they could have a bye. You could say, oh, there's a bye. And then maybe it's in week eight or nine or ten, whatever. Uh, so I think the focus on the lack of a bye, as much as, as you're not happy about it, uh, probably has been – Overblown. the USC. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just think that there's been too much talk, too much thinking, too much uh, emphasis on that. I think it's Im- impacted the way they've practiced. I think it's gotten them to games not as ready to play, not as physical, not as fast, not as uh, you know as tough-minded as, as they needed to be. And I, I do think it's the most negative part of not having a buy is – for people who are making decisions about how we're going to practice, uh, knowing that we're, USC doesn't, I mean, when they say to themselves, well, we don't have a buy, we're not going to, that's not how, well, that's not how you do it. And as much as they say, this is a week to week thing, and we just try to go in and win this week, and then we let next week take care of itself. If only that were true, but I don't think it's the case. I think they keep thinking that next week, uh-oh, we don't have a bye next week either, or we don't have a bye you know, the following week either. And I think that's been very difficult for USC to handle, and I think it's, uh, it, it, it has not been beneficial. But, but I think that's the worst part of not having a bye, is thinking all year, we don't have a bye. No. Uh, you, you can't think like that, but uh, but and I'm putting it in their minds in their work when I say we don't have. I think that's how they're thinking. We don't have this, and uh, you can't think like that. Yeah, I think it's right. That it's all about winning this week. Go out and win this week. What do you have to do this week? Do you have to practice in pads twice? Well, then you do that. Uh, and, and those injuries mostly aren't happening in practice. I mean, some of them aren't even happening in football. And, and some of that just just happened. And Notre Dame lost a real good linebacker uh, during bye week. And uh, you just, you got you to gotta go with what you got. And, and you shouldn't be looking for those kinds of excuses. USC still had a team, if you go by the recruiting rankings or if you go by whatever, USC still had a better team on the field than Notre Dame did. Good Just points. by personnel. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't buy all the excuses and stuff, but thanks for the question. 
Uh, Mike from the Bay Area. Yeah, that just was embarrassing. Like that, you can lose maybe, but not get embarrassed. Mike from the Bay Area was a text message said, "Hello, Ryan. Mike from the Bay. Question for Dan: Is this who USC is? Even uh, the games we've won, it looks like we're regressing. Where do we go from here? I have a feeling ASU is going to kick our teeth in. Thank, uh, nice to see Fink get some reps, just not uh, this way. As always, fight on, Mike in the Bay Area. I, I think it's a great point. You wanted to see backups in." Not this, you know. There should have been an earlier in the season during blowouts, the other direction. So the, the most significant backup time comes against in a blowout loss. I would have not bet. Uh, I would have bet against that yeah. for sure going into the season. Yeah, and, and and you do hate to predict any one game. I swear. I mean, how many? What was it? Uh, was it four years ago? I guess with Sark, and they went into ASU. Or uh, so. What, that's a yeah. It would be. I don't think it was two years ago. Maybe it was two years ago. And it sure looked like they were going to get their clocks cleaned in a lot of ways. And ASU probably gave away as many points and did as many dumb things. And USC was leading. I can't even remember what the score was at halftime. And I remember watching Sark walk off the field thinking, what the heck's going on here? How is this happening? Because it didn't look like USC was prepared to do any of the things that would, would have gotten them the kind of lead they, they had. And stuff happens. So I wouldn't want to you know, predict who the last thing in the world, you don't want to predict what USC is going to do. You also don't want to predict what Arizona State's going to do. They're capable of almost anything. I think they will come out and play physical and play really hard. I mean, they're going to go to school on the last as many USC games as they've been able to watch. And they're going to believe in themselves after beating uh, Utah and uh, and Washington the way they have, and they're going to come. They're really going to come after USC. And um, uh, I mean, there is no answer for USC this week other than to to practice really hard and really physically, and to be ready to play just that way in Tempe Saturday night. And Maybe it all comes together, and maybe they say, okay, we weren't the team we wanted to be. That wasn't who we were. We will be uh, a USC team. We'll be – I mean, it's not like they can't say, we'll be the team that beat Stanford. We'll be the team that beat Washington. Or this year we're going to play like that more than once a year. Uh, that would be my way to go. And, and come out of practice this week proud of how hard you've practiced and proud of the fact that you've practiced harder than anybody could. And that was the, again, it sounds like a cliche almost that we say it so often, but you don't talk to a single USC player from the, the Pete, Pete Carroll era when they were the top program in the country by far, and you don't find anybody who doesn't say practice was harder than games. They had so much pride about how they practiced. And they felt so good about themselves that even when they maybe shouldn't have felt that way in games, they always knew whatever they needed to do, they were going to be able to do. And whatever was going to happen was going to go their way because they were better prepared. They were tougher mentally and physically. I don't get the sense that this team feels like always they're mentally prepared, they're tougher physically uh, when they run up against the team that, it really is tough enough physically and mentally. Uh, it's, it's difficult. I mean, you can do that against Oregon State. Uh, you can do it against Cal, maybe. 
but uh, you can't do it against uh, you know a Notre Dame. You can't do it against a Washington State if you're not prepared to take away what Washington State does. And uh, so it'll be interesting to see. I mean, this is and there are people who think this is the biggest game in in Clay Helton's coaching career. Uh, who would have guessed? When the season started, er, er, before the season started, I looked at the schedule and said, if there's a trap game, and if Arizona State's any good, Arizona State's the trap game. Uh-huh. Now, that's taken away now, because after Notre Dame, you can't have any trap games. No, there's no trap games. This is a, yeah, this is but if a, they would have gotten yeah. through Notre Dame, Arizona State, I thought, had the potential of always being the trap game of the season. And uh, I didn't think Washington State was because everybody knew. Every, if, if everybody knows it's a trap game, it's not a trap game. Yeah. If everybody says it's a trap, it's not. It's the game that you don't say that about, which is the one coming up this week. And now USC, at least to this point, knows how badly they need this game and how badly – uh, you know they've got to want it, and how badly they have to, you know, take it away from Arizona State. I mean, I don't even know. Ryan, have you checked the odds? I don't know what it's, the odds are. But, I think uh, it's uh, USC's favorite by like two and a half, I believe. Two and a half. Okay. So I mean, yeah. that's interesting. I, I guess you almost can't make Arizona State the favorite. Although I know the Ohio State's the favorite over over Penn State this week, and it's not always about rankings, and it wasn't last week. Notre Dame was the favorite uh, on a, a USC team that was higher ranked. Yeah. But uh, maybe it's too big a, a differential to make Arizona State the favorite. But uh, but based on how things have gone the last few weeks, I don't think it would be wrong at all to make Arizona State the favorite. Yeah. All right, so we are at almost the hour 15 mark, and – as our friends down under would say, we have heaps of questions left. So should we? Okay, we'll go real Should quick. we try to like just go quick through these? And uh, let's go. Yeah, we'll try. One okay. sentence answers. Okay, we'll try. Here we go. So unfortunately, the first one is not going to allow us to do that. Probably this is interesting, James. Please ask Dan on the podcast to break down the percentage of the blame in a pie hashtag blame pie on why this team is where it's at and not performing to a top tier program. Here's his breakdown of the, the blame pie. He says twenty five percent. T. Helton, Helton, play calling, formations, philosophy, in-game adjustments. 25% clay not setting, establishing a tough, physical, and competitive team and in-game decisions. 10% Sam Donald hurts to say he is a dude, has won some games on his back with too many mistakes and turnovers. He has more turnovers than like over 100 Division I programs by himself, which is kind of crazy. Uh, Clancy, 10% Clancy not rotating players. 10% injuries in Larry Scott. 10% John Baxter and special teams. 10% off-season uh, off-seasonal training development and weight room. Hmm. You know, I, that's hard I to mean, do. I think they finished some games really strong. I don't know that it's the conditioning part of it, uh, and I, I'm not even sure that it's the the weight part of it that is why they're getting overwhelmed at the line of scrimmage. I mean, USC has beaten some, let's say, in Rose Bowls. They've beaten some Big Ten teams that not only would beat them at the uh, at Laurie's prime rib, but beat them in the weight room. Uh, that didn't necessarily and, – and those Pete Carroll teams weren't, like, weight strong. They weren't guys that were promoting how, how heavy uh, weights they could lift and all that. So I'm not, I'm not a big one to say it's definitely they're not strong enough. A lot of that, you know, they're getting, you know, they're getting 
uh, whipped at the line of scrimmage. There's no question about that. And they're getting thrown around, somebody said, like ragdolls. But, uh, but I'm not sure I, I put that on the list. Uh, I, think that's, I think I'm more coaching, coaching, coaching. Uh, coaches get the credit. Uh, unless, you know, you say, hey, USC's players just aren't that good. But then that goes to coaching, too. That means did you misjudge on, uh, on your recruiting? And I know this is not all this current staff complete, although a lot of them are here. Uh, you know, these are not all their recruits. But, uh, but I tend to, and, and, and as far as Sam, uh, since we don't know the whole Sam story, it's hard for me to put um, just a player's guy, and it's hard for me to put blame on players at this stage of their careers. The coaches are getting paid an awful lot of money, and this is a really big deal. And I think the players aren't ready. That's not on the players, yeah. uh, other than in very rare uh, instances. Um, so I think that pie chart, you can kind of break it up any way you want, but, uh, but I think you know, Clay got all the credit, all the deserved credit in the world last year you know, with Sam, but, but I don't know if it goes the same way when you're, when you're dishing out blame uh, because uh, I think players are limited in the, the kinds of opportunities they get. And, and what everybody around them is doing and what they do on the practice field and what other teams are doing to adjust to what you're doing. And if you're not able to keep adjusting, then uh, you're not, uh, you know, you're, I, I just don't want to put that on the player. Yeah. Uh, my pie would be, you know, a huge piece of pie for the coaches. If you could say, take this team, would a different set of coaches get better results? You would say yes. So that would, I blame a lot on the coaches. Um, but that wasn't a one-sentence answer, Dan, so we're going to yep, we're have to do better. Okay. I know that's a hard one to do. Here, we'll do we have one last voicemail and then like a crap load of emails, but here's a voicemail. Jeremiah from Snake Lake. My question is for D.W. D.W., you're from Kentucky. I'm from the Ozarks of Arkansas, so basically we're kin. I hope you don't mind me saying that, but I feel close to you. A lot closer than the wife, that's for sure. Let's see. The only example I can give is when you take away someone's natural instincts. If you told a python, oh, you're not allowed to have venom anymore. You're not allowed to strike anymore. You're not allowed to defend yourself anymore. I feel like that's what the coaching staff did to Sam Darnold. Every one of his instincts has been, I don't know, fixed. Fixed is a good, is a good word. They, they, they've been appreciated. They, they've been changed. Am I right? And if I'm wrong, I'm not going to seem like I'm right. Thank you. Thank you for everything, R.A. Keep it up. Ow. Hey, uh, until, the, uh, until Arkansas joined the SEC, us folks from Kentucky, Kentucky borders, I think there's seven states uh, that border Kentucky. Arkansas is not one of them. So we're still... A little question. We have still questions about Arkansas, but uh, but your point is that uh, something's different about Sam. Whether it's his his own doing, their doing, a physical issue, whatever, he's not able to be Sam. I don't think we know exactly. Hey, they run an offense that maybe asks him to do some things that he can't do. For whatever reason that is, uh, 
but uh, but but I think the jury's out as to what what Sam what's keeping Sam from being Sam. He's not Sam, but the answer not that clear. And you know, uh, but I will say this: I don't think pythons have venom. I think they just squeeze you. Yeah. they bite you and squeeze you. I think it says. Oh, those boa constrictors. Boa constrictors do that. Maybe python, yeah. pythons. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for that one, Jeremiah. Uh, Andrea, our friend, the Trojan Club president uh, of Orange County, president, she's down in San Clemente. She says, it baffles me. We're still looking and being described as slow, soft, and unphysical. Isn't preparation and practice the cornerstone to every successful coach? Are the players still buying into the way that they practice? And and they're being developed in the play calling. And it looks like our team quit against Notre Dame. It feels like we get a ton of canned responses to media questions about players and coaches. Do you really believe what they're saying? What are you hearing feeling? And as a fan, should I be more forgiving of our execution because of the litany of injuries? Or is it just an excuse? It's an excuse. Why aren't the backups, guys, defensive and offensive lines, ready to play at a high level? Warm regards from Andrea. Real quick on that, and we'll move on. Yeah, Andrea. Uh, bingo. Yeah. yeah, you got it. You you're watching it with the the right uh, the right colored lenses, yeah. uh, and I can't I can't disagree with you. Anything you said, Rex and Georgia, I love all the new content and your outstanding crew. Makes my week uh, to hear these podcasts. How did they confirm the Sam fumble when it clearly showed Sam with the ball secured in his left arm on replay going into the pile? Then you never see the ball in any of the shots from any angle. Also. They said that Brian Kelly hired a new strength and conditioning coach, and it showed their guys were blowing us up all over the field. Do we have an issue with strength and conditioning, and could this be a core reason or getting pushed around so much? So I think you answered that one already, but as far as the... Yeah, I think that was an unconscionable slow whistle. I think it was the kind of whistle that if you're an ACC crew and you're there to help Notre Dame, you know that Sam's uh, been prone to fumbles, and you know that Notre Dame's been prone to takeaways. You just say... Well, let's let him hold it. Now, if I were Sam, I wish he would have gone to the ground. He had nowhere to go, no chance to escape that defense. Should have gone down, didn't. But it, uh, clearly the whistle should have blown uh, when the quarterback is being, you know, basically attacked by three or four defenders unprotected. Uh, you can't let the play go that long. We didn't hear the whistle. We just knew. I don't know. Did they ever blow the whistle? Uh but uh, but that was a bad, that's a bad job by the officials. They should be called out for it. That was embarrassing uh, in an era when you're supposed to try to protect the quarterback. Uh, I thought that was wrong, and we didn't ever see where the ball came out or how or when. And they just said, "Go ahead, fine." Uh, that's that the play stands. Uh, I think it was the slowest whistle I've seen in a college game this year. Yeah. So yes, you're you're correct. Troy, 75. This is really long. I can't read all this, Troy. And plus, it's not really about the game, but he wants USC to file an economic breach of contract to dump the Pac-12, go independent, and sign with like ESPN or Fox. Um, so he says, Dan, I appoint you to educate all these clowns. Obi-Wan, you're our only hope. So, uh, well, we t- he's, he's not wrong in that I think that uh, you know, we hear the Washington state president now is complaining. Finally, somebody spoke up about the non-performance by the Pac-12. Now, he just lost his AD, who left for Nebraska uh, in the middle of the night, I think, and, and tweeted from uh, Lincoln and said, hey, guys, I'm over here now. Bye. <laughs> I'm at a, you know, a conference where we get $20 million per year per school 
more than we do in the Pac-12. And I spent all that money on our stadium, and I didn't get any of it back <laughs> like I thought I was. So I'm out of here. So, yeah, I think every president in the Pac-12 should be saying what the uh, president at Washington State said this week, uh, that, that what they told them and what they promised them hasn't played out, and it's hurting the schools. And he's absolutely right. And, uh, and I think it, and going forward, uh, I mean, I think it's hard for me to envision a conference or any kind of setup where Oregon State and Washington State and Colorado and Utah get the same amount of money as USC, the way things are now. That's just not going to happen. That's not an economic model that stands up. So uh, you're not, I don't know that you'll have to file suit or anything. I just think uh, it's just going to happen. It doesn't make any yeah. sense this way. Uh, think how much more it costs you to run an athletic program in Los Angeles compared to one in Corvallis, Oregon, or, Port, or Pullman, Washington. And, 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 and which programs are the TV draws. And it all says sharing money equally makes no economic sense. Yeah. And don't worry, this TV deal being done in 20 years, they can renegotiate at that point. Um, <laughs> ben, let's, okay, we got to go quick. Uh, from what you observe, you go to practice all the time. From what you observe, what are SC practices like? tough, mean, competitive, as close to game-like conditions as possible. I'm just curious because part of me is wondering if these issues the guys are facing have to do with the type of environment Helton and his staff are creating during the week. As flat as we look coming out of the games, the last few outings, I wonder if part of the struggles the guys having to do with simply not being prepared to play at the level of intensity and physical necessity of D1 Power 5 Conference football. I hope we'll respond the way we need to. A fire will finally get lit under our guys and we can take the real SC football to the sun turds i think he spelled devils wrong it's some devils uh ben <laughs> thank you for all you guys do fight on from the central valley where we get a lot of our food uh ben ben uh i think yeah from from far off in the central valley i think you picked up on they they look more like uh, uh nfl practices maybe where a lot of emphasis is on kind of getting the you know the lineups and the splits and the and the timing and what have you, right? But they 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 don't seem to be predicated on the understanding that football is a physical game where you have to do things to people to force them out of position, out of the ability to make a play, out of the ability to stop you, or out of the you know keep them from having the ability to block you, and you have to do that in a very forceful, physical way. And practice has to get you to that point. You can't leave your game on the practice field. You can't hit so much that you're not ready to play when Saturday comes. It's a very fine line. It's the fine line in college football these days. You have to be able to walk that fine line with, with getting people ready to play full speed with the force and the physicality that you need on Saturday, but not taking it away from them during the week. Yeah. How you do that is really important. And the guys who can do that, the Nick Sabins, for example, I think for the most part the Dabo Sweeney's, uh, people like that, uh, you know, a guy who lost to USC this year, David Shaw, those people seem to can kind of walk that fine line uh, and – 
and that's what you have to do. Uh, it, it's not the NFL where they don't do that. The players, in so many ways, get themselves ready for the games. Uh, and they're kind of, when you go to an NFL practice, you say, mm, man, uh, USC practices, uh, I'm always the hopeful one. And I'm always the one that's trying to see, okay, they did a little more. They did a little, you know, well, a little more emphasis, a little longer, a little bit. But it clearly, when you look at the games, the games determine whether they did or they didn't. And, and the, the games have, have basically determined that they haven't. Yeah. And it's that simple. I think you got to change practices. Just change it up, you know. Like, you have to do something different. Like, you can't just keep doing the same thing. So get rid of the stupid recess period. You know, run Oklahoma drills. Whatever you want to do. You got. I think you got to do something different. But we'll see, Ben. Thanks for the question. Point. Yeah. Yeah. I think players need that. Yeah. Players change it up. Different. Like, it's not and, working and this each, way. Go in reverse yeah, order. Each, Whatever you got to do, do something different. And each team is different. Just because it worked last year does not mean it's going to work this year. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a different team. And you have to look at the games. The games tell you if it's working or not. Yeah. The games are telling USC it's not working. Yeah. Do something different. Eric in Duck Country. Does T. Martin's recruiting ability make up for his obvious shortcomings in OC? Thanks, as always. Hey, just to be fair to T. Martin, he does way more than his fair share of the recruiting. So you can give him criticism on the OC stuff. It's, you know, he's never done it, called play before. This is his first time. But as far as recruiting goes, he definitely handles more than his share. Yeah, that, that imbalance on the coaching staff is, is something else that has to be addressed. Yeah. That, that, that he just pitches in and he'll be in Florida or he'll be where, you know, he just, he's a, he's a warrior as far as that, uh, that recruiting. And, uh, uh, and it hasn't been addressed completely. Yeah. You know, I mean, not only the, the recruiting guy who is, can be the closer and can be all of this, uh, and build the rapport with the players, their high school coaches. He's the wide receivers coach and the offensive coordinator. That may be uh, stretching uh, him a little bit thin. Yeah. Nick in Cyprus, Big Nick, 21 USC from the P. Question is simple. Why haven't turnovers been addressed? Uh, we knew of this stuff in spring and fall practice. Everyone laughed it off now, and it's kicked us in the rear end one too many times. USC's second worst in the country, I believe, with 19 turnovers, and Sam Darnold, I think 16 of them are on him, which is, like I said before, more than over 100 Division I uh, teams have on their own. Here's what I'll say that, Nick. They opened uh, on, on game day the Sam Darnold uh, feature, and they showed the first three turnovers they showed. They talked about, as you did, the Sam turnovers. All three of those were passes through the hands of USC receivers to the defenders. So you can say technically that's on Sam Darnold. You can say the uh, the handoff with between him and Rojo in the Utah game was on him. But, you know, he was trying to take the ball back and Rojo wanted it. You can argue about that. That pitch to Rojo, again, it didn't look like, they had the right relationship between the quarterback and pitchman, and that's probably not on the quarterback. Uh, the combination of the snap coming back the way it did, where it did, as hard as it did, and the ball, it's hard to even describe kind of the rotation that was on that ball. 
But you put all of that together, uh, and again, it's technically on Sam. They haven't all. He's gotten a lot of help with these turnovers, and it's easy to. So I tend to not go there as much as, and he's certainly throwing the ball in places he shouldn't be, where he's just trying to make plays out of desperation, and some of that is because he's not getting any help uh, with the run game, not getting any help on first and second down, and just says, "What the hell? I just got to go for it," and uh, that's uh, that's more of a team issue as far as I'm concerned. So the numbers are terrible for the team. Uh, but, yeah, I think one of the ways you make up for that whole turnover thing is you really work hard on creating turnovers. Uh, I don't see that at all. I mean, that would be a way. Uh, Notre Dame works hard on creating turnovers. I think it becomes a mentality. I, I, Pete certainly thought about it, worked at it. The team thought about it. They were pretty good at it. And the other thing that Notre Dame does that USC used to do is they scored off turnovers immediately. Yeah. When you get it, at, and USC doesn't seem to have, you have to do it more regularly to get that mentality. And they don't seem to have that mentality of they're going to screw up, they're going to give us the ball, we're going to score. Yeah. I don't see that. USC had been good at not allowing points off of USC's turnovers, which is good, but Notre Dame... Well, they get a lot of practice. Yeah, but Notre Dame crushed that three three touchdowns off the three turnovers, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, um, I guess the word had been yeah, good at that. Yeah, it was horrible in that game, but Notre Dame's really good at it, and you know, what, I talked about the pregame, like, which one's going to happen? If USC turns it over, can they stop them? That was not the case. Um, Brian Kelly uh, talked about that. As it turns out, Notre Dame really believes in it and works at it, and that that's one of those things with boy, you practice that stuff and you may be able to do it in games. Yeah. Casey and Thomas, um, sorry, there was a question about, you know, keeping the coaching staff. We, I think we talked about that thoroughly. So, uh, sorry, we'll, we'll have to skip those. Uh, but thanks for writing in. Um, Jason and Longhorn country wrote in twice. First, he said, we have a quarterback who can't catch a snap. It's consistently throwing the ball to the other team and missing wide open receivers on downfield passes. We have an offensive line that can't run block our defense is struggling to tackle and got manhandled up front. In other games, you can blame the play calling. I don't think that was the case here. I'd argue that this was a worse effort than the game against Alabama and potentially the worst effort since Lane Kiffin tarmac firing after ASU. I don't care about injuries or buys. This is SC. A second-string SC team should be able to play Notre Dame closer than that. I will be a Trojan fan at the end, but I'm struggling to come to terms with what just happened. Where does the team go from here? Jason Longhorn Country. Then he said, I apologize for the blow email. I was upset. Uh, I went too far. In the end, there are 17 to 23 year olds who are under a lot of stress, playing far from home. Just had a bad day at the office. It would be hypocritical of me, hypocritical of me to act like I've never had a bad day at the office. However, I do stand by my statement that the performance is much more is much worse than Alabama from last year. Um, in fact, given the implications and stage set for the game, I would argue this team and coaching staff laid an egg equal to or worse than Kiffin's 62 to 41 ASU loss. I'm a firm supporter of Clay Helton and believe that. We should get four full years. However, given Lynn Swan's comments on the Rose Bowl win, a loss like this result in some assistant coaching changes at the end of the year. I would not want to be Helton in his meeting with Swan tomorrow. So Jason Longhorn Country. just We kind of talked about that stuff, but yeah, I thought it was funny. Yeah, I think funny. that's way worse. Than, the Notre Dame game was way worse than the Arizona State 62-41. to 41. Yeah. Heck, they were leading in the third quarter. You know, I mean, it, it, it had a bad ending. But... Uh, but 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 Lane was not let go because of that game. That game was a 
was the culmination of a series of things that had happened certainly the year before and even you know before that so uh you don't do something like this based on one game but uh but the Notre Dame loss was the worst loss in Arizona State, no question about it. Yeah. Stephen Poway, let's be honest, was anyone who'd been following SC closely this year really surprised by the result? Uh, and would anyone really be surprised if USC finishes the next four games one and three or two and two? The team is too young and inexperienced. By my count, there are only two seniors on offense and two on defense that started tonight, uh, with four freshmen starting or playing on either side of the ball. The good news is, assuming Darnold returns next year, the situation will be reversed in 2018. Stephen Poway. I, I disagree. I don't think just because you got guys coming back means it's going to be reversed. Uh, I don't know what you think, Dan. Yeah, and I don't necessarily agree that they were so young. I mean, they're really not that much younger than Notre Dame. And one of the reasons Notre Dame's kids were all those seniors came back is they didn't have anywhere to go. Yeah. I, don't know. I mean, after last year, they were 4-8. and eight. I mean, there are people who think that if you're 4-8, and eight, the worst thing that can happen to you is that everybody comes back, okay? I mean, so there are different ways of looking at it. They got those guys and convinced them they could be better, and they're better. Yeah. But, uh, but I, think, I think the whole USC's got a young team is, is really not true. They don't play young guys. I mean, Stephen Carr got to play, and now Brandon Peely is, is getting to play because of, of injuries. But USC's not running – all that many young guys out there. Uh, they've got guys that have been in the program, plenty enough experience yeah. uh, on the offensive line. Even, uh, you know, maybe you've got a guy injured here or there uh, uh, and not always in the same game. But it's not experience that, that is the problem with this team. Percy says, uh, Dan, I saw the angry tweet from Sua Cravens and tend to think he may be on to something. Do you agree that the coaches need to go after players that will bleed Cardinal and Gold or just focus on the star rankings? It's really obvious there needs to be more bite in the attitude of both the staff and the players. Percy Tillman, I didn't really read much of what Sua Cravens was saying. I saw some of the tweets going around, but he was pretty critical, I think. Yeah, uh, and you want ex-players to feel like that. I'm, I'm, I don't know any ex-players who don't really take it personally and really feel like that. And they played it, played it at a high level, played the game at a high level, and that's kind of what you expect uh, from, from those guys. And, and he makes a good point that they got to care. And if you watch some of that game, all of it, however much you watch, you had to wonder how much do these guys care about this game. Uh, I, I really think uh, we saw some give-up touchdowns where it just didn't look like they were uh, determined enough to keep Notre Dame from scoring, and uh, and that's kind of a worry. So, so I don't I don't uh, I don't get surprised when an ex-player is really really upset if he thinks the effort isn't there. Yeah. All right. Um... Well, I think we're going to wrap it up. We had some questions. These are we're getting to the point where the questions were getting during the game, so um, I think we're going to move on from those. So, uh, yeah, stay hope, away from the yeah the middle of the game. Those are stuff. toxic. Not the it wasn't like the Utah game per se because yeah. you know that's uh, that that changed that, that you know if you wrote in the first half you pretty much feel the same way and that maybe you wrote in the middle of, like the beginning of the third quarter and you're like hey our offense is looking better or something but that would be about it but. Um, Thanks. We'll do one. Jay Tufele, Ralph and Folsom says, is he in the witless 
witness protection program. Not that we've seen him on the field, but we haven't heard his name mentioned. That seems odd with all the injuries on the DL. What gives? I didn't catch who that was. Oh, I'm sorry, Jay Tefelli. Oh, I don't know that he fits the exact profile of the kind of player they need. Uh, he, he more of a, a Rasheem Green type player who is still still there, or a uh, a Christian Rector player. So, I mean, it's just one of those bad breaks. He's not a nose tackle, and so I think that's more more the case than anything that they just there's just not a place necessarily for him to play. Uh, and mean losing his red shirt at this point. So he more of a, you know, basically another regime green. And, again, they've, uh, they've survived there. So, I mean, I think there's there, – with future injuries, you wouldn't ever want to say uh, it's not going to happen. But, but right now he, he just not, he's just not the position guy that you need uh, with the way things are going. Yeah. All right. Well, we didn't get them all, but we did our best. That was an hour and 40 minutes of question answering. So and we th- might try to incorporate these for the guys who don't get, don't hear the Paris, uh, the podcast that, uh, that they can read a column where we try to address them as well. Yeah. In fewer words, probably, but, uh, but with an emphasis on getting all the questions in. Yeah, so I, I sent the, all the questions to Dan. Thank you so much for sending them in. Um, yeah, so that's that was great. Um, Dan, you did an awesome job. I think this is one of the best ones we've ever done. I would say just kind of ending it off, there were so many good questions and so many good, good answers, so I think uh, a lot of good stuff. Hopefully it's therapeutic for everybody. Yeah, this is, uh, this is a week for therapy and then uh, you get to go to the desert and uh, and see if you can get dry you know get all, get everything dried out this week uh, uh, for Saturday night and uh, how big is Saturday night huge, stay tuned. huge. <laughs> it's like we always say about USC football stay tuned yeah yeah that's never know yeah all right well if you're still listening an hour and 40 minutes in um, so I'm going to do another podcast. There's still, if you can believe it, there's still a lot more questions that just came in like as general ones, not for Dan or Harvey. So I'm going to try to do a solo one. There was a lot of voicemails. I'm going to play. They're kind of rants, just people going off. Huh. I'll play those. I'll try to answer some more of these questions solo. And we'll try to put that be, put the game behind us. But I want to get, you know, if you took the time sure. to write in, we want to try to get to them. So I'll do another podcast, and then I'll do a Pac-12 podcast too. I was traveling today on Monday, so I wasn't able to get to our, our Pac-12 one. Um, but we'll get to that one tomorrow too. So lots of lots of talking, and then we'll be at practice. It just seems like I just got back, Dan. All these, you know, traveling from Chicago, and like, crap, we got to go to to Phoenix this weekend and just get everything done. So it's uh, it's gonna be a busy week. Well, I'm glad they've got the chance to go to Phoenix and and prove something this week. They need that, and they need to prove it tomorrow in practice, or today in the meetings, and they got to prove it. They got yeah. stuff to prove. And it's not just the players. I guarantee you, this is uh, this is more on the coaches in terms of coming back and proving something. And uh, it's good that Arizona State's playing well. He ought to be happy. Yeah, it's, this gives you a chance to actually prove something. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. This is a, you know a hot Arizona State team. You get an ugly win, you feel good about it because then you're five and one in the conference, and uh, it should be good going forward. All right, well that's Dan Weber. Check him out on uscfootball.com. Dan, thanks so much, and uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow at practice. 
Okay, we'll see you there. Hang all in there. All right, yes. Well, that's that's Dan. I'm Ryan Abraham, publisher of uscfootball.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, we'll do another show tomorrow, probably in the morning. So you, I mean, you might even get both of these at the same time, depending on when you, your app updates or whatever. But uh, yeah, lots of USC football questions. We'll give you are the best answers we can possibly do, and we do enjoy you sending all those in. Thanks. Keep them, keep them coming. I think it's a record for this week. Um, we'll see what happens at Arizona State to see if we get a whole bunch more. But thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next time. Most people know that buying or selling real estate is no small undertaking. Understanding the market value of your home, pricing, advertising, closing, and perhaps even selling personal property along the way are all examples of the real estate journey. And Michael Moline Real Estate has the experience to help make that journey an enjoyable one. Southern California real estate inventories are at historic lows, so there is no better time than now to sell your residential property. Whether you're moving into a bigger home or downsizing, personal property is often a component of the real estate estate transaction. Michael Moline Real Estate has industry expertise to help you with both your real property and your personal property as you get ready to transition. Michael Moline Real Estate specializes in properties located on the west side of Los Angeles and the southern San Fernando Valley communities. Allow Michael Moline Real Estate to give you a free comparative market analysis and home valuation so you know how much your home is worth today. Contact Michael Moline at michaelmolinerealestate.com. That's Michael, M-O-L-I-N-E, realestate.com. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 